Hi, I'm Colin White. I am the founder of Toodles Underwear, and I beat the often path because I started a business with my dad. We're co-founders together. He's a physician for over 35 years, and he and I together are working to make the world a better smelling place. Welcome back to the Beat the Often Path podcast. I'm your host, Ross Palmer. On this show, we showcase unusual success stories to help us think outside the box of our lives and careers and to give us permission to follow that silly thing that just might lead to our breakthrough. Well, today we got a wacky one, and I know you're going to appreciate this if you know me at all. Today we're showcasing a product that literally made me laugh out loud the first time I saw it. We've got Colin White in the house, and he is the co-founder of Toodles, flatulence suppressing underwear made from activated carbon fiber. Now you might think that this is just a gag gift because a number of people have already discreetly given me pairs, apparently trying to drop a hint, but actually it's based on real field medical work from both Colin and his father, Dr. Robert White. Now they also co-created Stitches Medical, a line of science-backed garments for hospitals to suit the many awkward and unusual clothing needs of patients. For example, if you got a port, how do you access it for all those kinds of things. It's a fascinating idea with a very real background, but it's also supremely silly. So I can't wait for you to meet Colin White, co-founder of Toodles. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Colin. I'm so glad to have you here. How are you doing today? I'm doing good, thank you. How about yourself? I'm doing very well, and I'm very excited. You know, sometimes we get a little bit more serious on the show. Sometimes we get a little bit more silly. Today is going to be, I think, a mostly silly episode with some serious yes. undertones, which is exactly what we love. Yep. So to get it out of the way right at the beginning, what is the product that you have? You've developed many, but what is the main one, the funny one? The funny product is Toodles underwear. So it's underwear that you would wear just like any normal underwear. With men's, we have boxer briefs. With women, we have a high waist and a low waist underwear. And what it does, different from any other underwear that you would wear, is that when you pass gas, especially when it's smelly, it filters out the smell of your flatulence. So it's, uh, it's a little bit different than your normal underwear. Just a little bit. Most of them amplify the smell, or at least that's what it appears <laughs> to do. I'm sure that that's not actually true. But all right, so hilarious concept, the kind of concept that many a person like myself might have thought of over a few beers and said, hey, wouldn't it be funny if we did this? Uh, except there's only one difference. You actually went out and did it. So how on earth did you come to the conclusion that not only this was an idea, but that you were actually going to follow through with this idea? Right, exactly. And, you know, so my, uh, I have this business with my dad and my dad's a physician. Uh, he was a surgeon or he is still a surgeon um, with a private practice. And basically what happened was uh, we already started a brand where we were selling medically related type clothing for people. So we were always looking for new ideas to, uh, for clothing that helps for post-surgery and, um, and all those kinds of things with, you know, post-surgery drains. And, but my dad was like, listen, Colin, I've got this great idea. It's one of the complaints that I have seen over my career more than anything else amongst patients, especially after bariatric surgery, gastric bypass surgery, is that there's the typical recommendations I give to them as they're being discharged, but they always on the side go, 
hey doc, what do I do about this bad gas? And he heard it so often and the typical recommendation was you can take gas X, you can take Bino, you can take you know this medicine. And, but he realized that a lot of people, instead of just putting more medicine into their body, they would like a non-invasive solution to it. So he said, listen, we'll figure out the science and let's build this product. And, um, you know, I think a lot of people will really want to have it. So that's kind of how we got into doing Toodles underwear. So it began as a serious thing, which is kind of funny. It wasn't just a couple of frat boys sitting and playing beer pong. Yeah. It was actually a medically based concept. That's yes. funny. Exactly. Yeah, it was. And the funny thing is that as we were building it and as we were talking with all our friends and family about the business, it just it became the best icebreaker you can possibly imagine. I mean, even at the, you know, the nice events that you go to or a wedding you go to and people are like, oh, what kind of, you know, what do you sell? What are your products? And I was like, well, I sell an underwear that filters out the smells of your flatulence. And it just... <laughs> It's hilarious, and as every comedian will say, even though it's you know it's got the medical backing to it, it's every comedian will say that farts are just simply always funny. So you kind of have Absolutely. to play into it. <laughs> Absolutely, and it's the kind of thing where people at a dinner party they would say, "Oh, ha ha ha, really funny, great, I'll never buy that," and then five minutes later, secretly, "Hey, can I get a pair?" Yeah, exactly. And it's usually for the spouse or right, for, for the spouse. Else. Yeah. <laughs> Can I get a pair for my husband, please? Right. Um, yeah, that's a good sign. It's a good sign if you get a pair as a Christmas gift, I think. You should say, oh, is it that bad, huh? Um, okay. So diving into the solving of this problem, where does one begin solving this problem? How did the idea, you, you said that there was a, a medical clothing company, which is called stitchesmedical.com, right? Yep. So where did the idea for medical clothing come about to begin with? And then how did you get the idea or your dad get the idea to solve this problem with an uh, article of clothing? Yeah, exactly. So uh, we started, you know, Stitches Medical about four years ago. And we started with a lot of post-surgery clothing. Uh, it Basically, my, my dad was, uh, you know, with a lot of his patients that was discharging uh, it was very uncomfortable them being discharged with, you know, medical uh, Jackson Pratt drains and they have to wear these drains for three to four weeks. And so we were like, why don't we just create a simple shirt where you can put the drains and pockets right inside and just makes the whole process more comfortable. And we were doing a lot of our uh, marketing through uh, the medical network, through nurses. And as we were selling it, they were also saying, well, what about clothing for like post chemo patients? So they have, uh, or chemo patients, so that they have access to their port catheter. And so we started uh, just you know building products with that process in mind of how do we solve this problem for this medical procedure? Uh, and then that eventually, and so we started doing that. And that eventually landed us at um, you know the the toodles, the flatulence filtering. Product, but uh, it was it was very interesting because it really started with my dad, and I really wanted to be an entrepreneur in my life. I was, uh, you know, I went to business school. I worked in, you know, 
tech, and then I worked in as a commercial real estate agent in San Francisco for you know five years. And as you go through all these different industries, you're always wondering what is it that do I really want to be doing this the rest of my life? And, and I'm looking at the seniors at the company. Do, is that where I want to be in in 30 years? And so sometimes it's kind of depressing where you're like, I really don't actually want to be like that. And oh yeah. And so there was always kind of that entrepreneurial craving that I had for the longest time. But it was where do I where do I begin? What idea do I do? And uh, basically, it didn't come until you know my dad, uh, you know, at dinner one night, he was just like, Hey, listen why don't you try this idea? We can, we can do this together. And now it's just kind of launched into something completely on its own. And, uh, and being a business owner with him is just, has been great. I'm kind of the one that runs the business and he's acts more as a kind of a consultant and helping with the product development and, uh, and that kind of stuff. So, uh, it's been a, it's been a very unconventional journey, but, uh, but I'm, happy with where I am right now. <laughs> well, that's what we're all about. That's literally the definition of the show. You will be almost episode 100 here, and that is exactly the point of this show. <laughs> you summed it up. <laughs> because the fact of the matter is, people generally, in my opinion, they think they're way too small-minded about what their life could be or what an idea should be. And sometimes we need somebody to just nuke the path to remind people that there are all kinds of different ways to A, be successful monetarily and in the world, and to B, be personally fulfilled. And we've been sold a very, very narrow definition of what the path must be. And especially now, that path is failing so many people. So many people followed the rules. They decided to go to school. They graduated with mountains of debt. And right. they didn't get the job that they were expecting to get when they graduated. They still have debt. They didn't climb up the ladder in their job the way they expected to climb. So this thing yep. has just failed tons and tons of people. So our job is to remind people, hey, there's a radically different way of living your life out here. You can do right. crazy things and still build something of meaning. And maybe you have to be a little bit unusual in order to succeed. Maybe that kind of uniqueness is a strength and not a weakness. That's the premise, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's just, it's interesting because you'll hop from industry to industry and you're always starting from scratch with, with it all. And for those who are working in the, you know, their corporate careers and they're always saying, well, I just need more experience or I need you know, more money or I need something in order to start that entrepreneurial journey. It's, it's basically, it's more like just start because you're going to have like everything that you're learning now in your job is not going to apply for when you start your business. It's going to be, you're going to make all the mistakes in the world. We've made a lot of costly mistakes and that's just part of the process, but you're better off getting started earlier rather than later. And, uh, you know, there's part of me that wish I was, uh, I, I started a business earlier in my life, but, uh, you know, again, it's kind of that conventional thinking that's out there of like, you got to go out there, you got to get experience. I even went to business school and guess what? Being an entrepreneur and running your own business, it's like, how much do I actually apply for business school as an entrepreneur? I mean, 
Not much. I mean, HBR case studies only go so far. So it's uh, it's just pretty funny how the the world thinks about you know all this kind of stuff. That's interesting that you say even a business degree didn't help much. I don't yeah. think you're allowed to say that. Don't tell your alma mater that. I know, I you. probably shouldn't. They're not watching, I don't think. Yeah, no, no, they wouldn't. That's against their business model. That's the same with my college. They ask you to give back after you gave them $80,000 a year for four years. What are you giving back to exactly? Yeah. I don't give just... back to the Rolex dealer. I don't give back to the Mercedes dealership after I buy a car. Yeah. I think exactly. the transaction is over. They got their money. I got something. Uh, but totally. Yeah, so... Medically, people have problems. Obviously, I've had relatives myself who hasn't, who have gone through cancer, gone through various procedures like the ones that you described. So right. if you have a port in your chest or any of these other things that you talked about, what would mm -hmm. people traditionally do in that circumstance who didn't have the proper clothing? They just cut a hole in some clothes? How would that problem be solved without the yeah, right Yeah, exactly. That's, that's essentially what they would do is there's a lot of stories about you know, how people would, you know, patients would cut and sew it themselves and sew their own zipper just to be able to access the port. And so that's where, when we were hearing back from the nurses, just all the different stories about how they're yanking their sweaters down in order to access it. And uh, it just doesn't really allow for a very comfortable experience. And, and essentially, a lot of times they end up wearing clothes that they wouldn't normally want to wear. And, you know, that's a already a very difficult uh, circumstance to go through. If you're going through a chemotherapy or if you're going through dialysis uh, or you're going through a big surgery. And so it's already difficult. And so then to have to wear clothing that you would normally not want to wear just to help with your situation, uh, it takes out the dignity in the process. And so we wanted to bring nice clothing not stuff like gowns, nice clothing that you would, most people would want to wear. And it's just got the simple access points to be able to, um, to, be able to treat your site. And, uh, yeah. and so that's basically uh, where, you know, our philosophy of bringing dignity to patients. I mean, that's where it really all comes from. Yeah. And that's such a powerful thing. Dignity in general, such a great word, a great right. concept. Did people mm -hmm. respond to it immediately? Were people immediately thrilled when you started bringing these things out? Was it tough at the beginning? Yeah, it was tough in the beginning. Uh, and But people were uh, very you know, excited that, that there was these type of products. And, and especially in the medical community, you would really see it. Uh, I would, you know, I keep bringing up nurses. I mean, nurses are our biggest advocate because they're the ones that are with different patients all the time every day and so so it's actually more for them because they're the ones treating the patient they're the ones uh you know giving them the iv drips and so for them they're like this makes my life so much easier so this is great and uh and you know and the and patients love it too and in, in in the sense that uh it's a like i said before it's a difficult circumstance to go through and so if, if someone buys this as a product, as a, as a gift for what they're going through, that's going to help them with their treatment, uh, it's a very beautiful gift to give somebody. And people are always very appreciative um, if you do that. So, Okay, great. So right away, you knew that you had a good proof of concept. Mm -hmm. 
the yeah. response was, we like this. Yeah, exactly. Right. And what we would do is we'd, we'd come up with the concepts ourselves, we'd build the products, and, uh, and then we'd have all our samples and prototypes, and then we'd just take them right over to all the um, practices and the hospitals and just say, give us your feedback, what do you think? And then we'd take that feedback and then do round two, round three, round four, and just kind of went like that. Because there's a lot of different little nuances to some of the products. You know, do you use a zipper or do you use snaps? Where do you put the snap exactly? Where do you put the zipper? Do people like Velcro? Do they not like Velcro? And it's hard because when you're getting feedback from testing a product, Sometimes it's like the amount of opinions that come back. It's, a, it's like, well, these are all conflicting <laughs> opinions right. on it. So then you have to kind of No pick. zipper, only zipper. Yeah, it's like, I hate zippers. I love snaps. And if someone's like, I love snaps. I hate zippers. So you're like, okay. <laughs> okay. Great. Making progress. Yeah. <laughs> Note to self, some people hate everything. Got it. Right, exactly. <laughs> yep. And so, so that's four years ago. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so that was, that was four years ago. And, uh, and so, you know, we started selling it, you know, selling those products. And it was, I mean, when we say we started four years ago, I mean, we didn't really start selling until like three years ago because you have to build the product, you have to do the manufacturing. And the manufacturing always takes way longer than what you ever want it to be. And you get all your marketing and everything ready, and then you're just all you're doing is just waiting for the product. So that is, that honestly for me is one of the challenges that I never thought as an going into entrepreneurship that that would be was going to be such a huge headache is when you're putting in purchase orders finally and then waiting for the product and then you're working with your suppliers, wherever they are in Asia, India, or, you know, Central America. And then they go, well, we're running into a problem. So it's going to be another month late. And you're like, man, you're going to put me out of business just every week that you delay this. It's killing me. And I think that's been one of the most difficult um, challenges. And one thing that we really try to keep a strong pulse on is all our inventory numbers and forecasting, you know, our depletion rates and what we need to order more of and really staying ahead of it. And that's been, definitely takes some discipline because we get caught up with just trying to sell product. And so um, that backend part is very important. Absolutely. Did, did you have a job when you started all of this? Did you have something on the side or did you go all in on this project from day one? Yeah, so I still work, when I started it, I was still working as a commercial real estate agent in the city. And, uh, and then basically, um, once you start working on the, on the business, you start just, you just start wanting to do the transition completely because you just want to dedicate all your time and energy into, into one thing. And so, yeah, so there was a, definitely a crossover. Um, you know, one thing that I have to say from now being an entrepreneur versus what I was doing before as a commercial real estate agent is that when you're an entrepreneur and you're building unique products that solve unique problems, you're the only one doing it. And maybe there's a few competitors here and there out there, but you're very unique. And that was one of the biggest challenges as a commercial real estate agent because there's so many commercial real estate agents and you're competing with so many people and 
you're like, what makes me unique compared to this next person? I guess, maybe, do I know more about commercial real estate than the next person? Or does the client just like me? Like, and it's, it's one of those sort of things where it's a little bit depressing because you're like, like, it's in a very competitive market and it's just so commoditized. And you basically what ends up happening is that the people that win are just the hustlers. And so you have to be working like crazy because you're just, you have to out hustle the next person. But when you build a very unique product, you still have to hustle, but it's, it's different in a lot of ways because you know, there, there, you can't find 20 other flatulence filtering products out there that they can <laughs> compete with. So, or that they can buy from. Absolutely. I wouldn't know anything about that level of competition. I started, I was the first person to decide to interview people with audio and video and release that. It's what I referred to as a podcast. I know mm. it's a brand new concept. You've never heard of it. It's, <laughs> it's, I'm the only one as far as I know. Right. <laughs> so it's super easy for me to grow a following. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's just a very unique thing that I've discovered. Um, and, you know, nowadays, some other people are copying me. You might have heard of this guy, Joe Rogan or whatever, but um, oh, yeah, small, sure. small yeah. potatoes, really. <laughs> no, that's hey, long, obviously exactly. Been doing the, I've been I'm doing sorry, it for I'll, two years. Coming for two up. years. Yeah. Coming well, up. This will be years. episode 98, I think. And that must mean 52 weeks in a year or once a week. So approaching two years, maybe in a couple of weeks. Yeah, I so, mean it's a lot of work even to it's a grind to do yeah. this. It's you think about uh, you know, sometimes when you look at the Joe Rogans and you're like, oh, they're just uh, you know they're just talking to people. Like how how hard that can that be? But I yes. I feel like the legwork, getting the interviewees, getting you know the YouTube channel and editing the video and the audio, it's a massive amount. It must be just a massive amount of work in the background to make this all put together. It is. It's a surprising amount of work. And you have to put in systems in place to make it possible. I jumped into it thinking it'll be very easy. And then you realize very quickly how hard it is to put out something every week or more than every week. Right. Very, very difficult because you get to week four and you say, okay, I'm out of guests. That's the end of that. <laughs> Maybe I'll call my neighbor. What do you do? Who do you yeah. ask? And where do you find these people? And when will they say yes? And why will they say yes? And it's it's everything you just described. So I suppose the good news is that you get to learn how to develop those kinds of systems. You learn how content right. is done. I've mm -hmm. learned a great deal about the process. That's been one of the biggest advantages. But of course, the biggest advantage is this moment right here, sitting down, talking with interesting people, learning their story, because that's something that I've always personally been interested in. I've always been a nonfiction book reader. There's something about the real stories of people's lives that I've very much enjoyed. There's something that that gives it a bit of an edge versus just a theoretical, mythical, mystical world. When it's somebody's actual life on the line, it just adds that little extra something. For example, when somebody commits right. to something or when they don't commit to something, because I recognize that going all in on a project like this, that's a thing. That's a very real thing. It's one thing to talk about these things hypothetically, but when you make a decision that, no, this is what my life is going to be, that's a whole right. different level of commitment, and that's the part that I love. So the greatest joy is these moments and connecting with people. And also, it gives me the strength 
when I have tough decisions, right, there are many times in my own life where I deal with a client or deal with work and I've got tough decisions. And this is a really great North Star for me to remind me of mm. what's really important. And then I can say, if I behave this way, if I say no to this safe thing and if I take a risk on this thing, it's not me alone venturing out into the wilderness, which it is anyways. But instead, it's no, I've got these other 50 really intelligent people who have done something similar and they lived to tell the tale and they thrived because of it. And that's been huge for me. Right. I feel so much more general confidence just in life based on doing this. Yeah, absolutely. Because you're, you're connecting with people that have a similar mindset as you. And yes. as we all know, you, you jump into creating something of your own. It's not like the, the nine to five thing, just it goes away because even when you're home and if you have kids, I've got a couple of little, little boys at home. And even when I go home, it's like, yeah, you're playing with them in the back of your mind. It's just, it's never turned off. You're always thinking about your project and it's just, uh, it's just it's a different different thing from when you're just a traditional employee you go home you shut off work it's when you start venturing into doing your own projects your own businesses it's uh it's it's life consuming but it's rewarding because you're doing something that you really enjoy you're passionate about and uh you're putting unique value out into the world yeah and i think very few people in general have a daily feeling of either i'm a genius or I am literally clinically insane. One of the two. <laughs> right. <laughs> Either I am so smart that nobody else thinks like me, or maybe nobody else thinks like me for a reason. Maybe nobody else should think like me. That is a thought that goes through my head all the time. And I'm sure that when you're sitting there, I'm building toodles. I'm building this underwear that's going to filter flashlights. I'm sure there are many times when you're saying to yourself, am I an idiot for doing this? Right. Like, what am I, am I really doing this right now? It's, uh, <laughs> right. I, I can't believe I, I got myself into it. It's just, and it's just the, it's, it's the weird twists of, of life, which is kind of the, the premise of this podcast. Cause if I was to have, you know, when I graduated college and if I was like, you know what, 10 years from now, I'm going to be <laughs> selling flatulence filtering under underwear. I would have said, I'm crazy. That's crazy. It's crazy talk. And, uh, but that's just the way things go. <laughs> and then here we are and it's working. And then I brought you here because of it. And so yeah. in that sense, but all right, so you built this company and why not make this a product within the catalog? Because Stitches Medical, you've got a bunch of products in your catalog, various different kinds, right. various different people, various different body types, procedures, all of that. Why not just add this Toodles thing as a product? When did that decision happened to make it its own spin-off and when did you decide that you should brand it differently think about it differently yeah exactly so you know we were when we were coming up with the product we thought it was even though it has a lot of relations to um stitches medical we also realized that okay as we market this it has a different feel to the marketing than with stitches stitches you can't really be funny with that type of product, with the uh, with the overall messaging of of the brand. Because if you're cracking jokes about chemotherapy, it's like that's that's a no no. And yeah, exactly. Like you just don't go down that road. 
And we knew that the Toodles product had a lot of opportunity. Not only does it solve the, solve the you know solve medical issues that we deal with, but it has so much comedic value to it. <laughs> and the only way that we can tap into the comedic value of this product is if we uh, run it as a separate brand. So it's actually they're all under the same umbrella. So Toodles is under the Stitches Medical Incorporated umbrella. Um, mm. But we just decided to take it out um, as a separate brand. We liked the name Toodles. We thought it was kind of fun and zingy. And uh, obviously it relates to a toot, so, which is the polite way of saying fart. And uh, in fact, I try to get my boys to say toot instead of uh, fart, sure. you know, just because it's Why a little not? less uncouth. So, <laughs> uh, so we liked it and we thought, uh, you know, Toodles could really kind of take a, a life on, on its own while we still manage the Stitches medical business. But really just the biggest decision was we knew that there was going to be different marketing messaging that goes out with both brands. Absolutely. Where, where are you based out of right now? So I'm based out of Napa Valley, California. Oh, okay, beautiful. So one day yeah, you'll have a giant play, estate. Yeah. Your children will be older and they'll say, where did all this money come from? You'll say, well, your father was the fart king of Napa Valley. That's <laughs> like right. They'll talk about millionaires row, all those oil barons. <laughs> That'll be you in 100 years. They'll say totally. it spawned a billion dollar empire. Uh, yep, Napa Valley. Exactly. Gosh, well, that's what area. Napa Valley is like. It's a, there's a lot of wealthy people in Napa Valley. Yeah. But most of the wealth did not actually come from, uh, from building the, the wineries. So most of the wealth has come from Silicon Valley and starting a winery is just, uh, is just a nice little bow on the top of your you know, very successful career. I like that. That sounds excellent. Well, yes. you, didn't, you, you, you touched on an interesting thing because you're faced with a choice and you recognize that you were faced with a choice and that choice is do we lean into the funniness of this product or mm. do we ignore it because there a case could have been made to be very serious very technical to create this product on the stitches medical brand and to say this is a flatulence suppressor and talk about why and ibs which are serious diseases and serious right. reasons that one might need this what prompted you to make that choice to lean into it? Because I think there are a number of businesses that either deliberately avoid leaning into the humor and things or lean into it. I personally am a fan of leaning into the uncomfortable conversation, but I'm curious why you felt that you should do that. Yeah, because it felt like it was just going to catch a lot more attention if you're, if you're funny about it. And so the kind of the idea of the funnel of it all was you, you grab the attention of a larger amount of people by being funny. And then as they come in and they check out your brand, then that's when they realize, oh, this is actually something real and interesting. So it's more just to kind of get the attention out there um, by tapping into the comedic side of it. And then we also did, what are, what are those called? Uh, where you have those... Um, there's groups of people that will be in a room and they'll test the product. Focus group. Focus group. Yeah. So we did a focus group, you know, on the Toodles, Toodles underwear. And so we got all, you know, feedback. And there were people in there that actually do have gas issues. And they, uh, and so one of the questions that was in the focus group was, what do you do? Would you be offended if this was brought to you in a funny way? And literally the entire group of people 
in that room said, oh, I would be, I actually would like it if, you know, it was brought to me and marketed to me in a, in a funny way. It's kind of self-deprecating in a lot of ways. So there was kind of the overwhelming majority of the feedback from the focus group that their people were more than okay with the, uh, the funny side of it. And I personally, uh, you know, I love comedy and humor, just me personally. So for me, the opportunity to do something funny is uh, like, I personally prefer it as well, but I just obviously has to work business-wise as well. Because you have more freedom and you get to express yeah. better yeah, thoughts. Exactly. And the whole reason that you leave the corporate grind or that world is to have that kind of freedom. Exactly. Instead of somebody saying, we don't put messaging like this out. This right. goes against our style guide. You can't yeah. do this. Uh, <laughs> well, this brings me to my favorite part of this episode. I've been saving it for this moment because I wanted to get a little bit in here. But my favorite part I knew going into this was going to be this next section. So the R&D. So the decision is made for building this product. You say, we could make a product like this. How on earth did you go about doing it? And was that the worst R&D process in the history of the world? Or <laughs> <laughs> Totally. I'll tell you exactly how the R&D okay. process went with Toodles. So we basically, uh, we, we got every odor filtering fabric that was out there. And uh, so, so we basically sourced all this, all this different materials. And then the next question was like, how do we <laughs> test it? And... So what we did is we, uh, we bought these uh, hydrogen sulfide tanks. Um, so fart, the reason why your flatulence smells is because of the hydrogen sulfide that you release. That's what smells. So we basically had, you know, a tank of hydrogen sulfide. So it's like a tank of flatulence, basically. Nice. And a very powerful flatulence. <laughs> and Oof. We uh, and we would, had a forensics de detector, and so we would shoot the gas through the fabrics, and we would test the gaseous state on the other side of each fabric, and uh, and so we would just go through one fabric at a time, all these different fabrics, and th the by far the activated carbon fabric worked far better than any other fabric out there. Even all the anti-wicking, all those antimicrobial fabrics, they do nothing com for an odor control compared to activated carbon. And uh, so, but then we had to make the activated carbon um, into a knit material so that it can be applied to clothing. A lot of the times it's woven, it's used for a lot of industrial purposes, HVAC systems. Uh, and so we had a, get it in knit form, it had to be applied to clothing. And, uh, and that was a very tricky process because um, how to, because it wasn't stretchy enough, the activated carbon fabric. So we had to bond it with this light glue of, with cotton on both sides. And then we had to take a bamboo fabric as the body fabric of the underwear and basically slide this fabric in as like a pocket sewn inside the underwear, um, you know, in order for it to work. But it took a lot of trial and error to get to that point. Um, but yeah, we, uh, and then the next, the next testing phase was like, okay, let's put on this underwear. Let's go to the local hole in the wall Mexican joint and let's see if these things truly work. So. <laughs> <laughs> So 
So that was the next uh, process, of course. Which the second, the second testing process, a little bit more fun. The first, the first process was a little bit more lab tested and scientific. Nice, because <laughs> there's a skeptical, there's a skeptical side to you as you do it. There's a skeptical yeah. side to you. They're like, I mean, it works, but I'm, st- is it really gonna work? I mean, that question right. goes through your mind the entire time. And just to kind of give you an idea of the difference between the activated carbon fabric and all the other uh, fabrics that we use. When we would uh, shoot the gas through the fabric, the forensics detector, like if the hydrogen sulfide in the air is really high, it does a beeping sound. It goes beep, 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 beep. So literally with every fabric out there, you would shoot the gas through and it was like less than two seconds almost every time and the thing would just get alerted. The, uh, the activated carbon, I mean, you're blasting this hydrogen sulfide gas through the fabric. I mean, this is like, you know, a gorilla fart, basically. It's massive. <laughs> it was what we're, you know, uh, doing. And so it took 19 seconds for it to flash any kind of alert that there was hydrogen sulfide in the air. So it does work as a, as a filter. So... Um, but it obviously you're looking at 19 seconds versus like half a second to one second and no one is going to fart for 19 seconds straight. So that's kind of the conclusion we ran to on using the activated carbon. Challenge accepted. No, um, (laughs) then the real test is the commercial airline test. That's the, Mm -hmm. that's the final stage in testing. If it passes that, then it's, then it's good. So I can only imagine charcoal filters, other things like water, drinking water. Mm-hmm. Is there a limit? Is there a certain amount of gas that one pair of underwear can sequester? Is there a shelf life on this? Yeah. So it, uh, from what we've seen is that the fabric, you know, it can keep passing gas and it works really well. The biggest thing that which can deteriorate the, the quality of the, uh, the activated carbon or activated charcoal, those are t- two synonymous terms, uh, is that if you start washing it and you use fabric softeners and you use other types of chemicals, it can, deter- uh, it, it can hinder the activated carbon. So we always suggest using like soda crystal detergent uh, when, you're, when you're washing your underwear so that it doesn't, so that you can preserve it for the longest time. And it's, you know, water will have an effect on it over time. So usually it's like, from what we've seen, it's 20 to 25 washes uh, that it lasts. Um, you know, you're not, people are not necessarily wearing their toodles 